Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, September 25th, 2015. Today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are going to be reading from the forward to the second edition, which is Roman numeral XV. And we'll be starting with that last paragraph on that page that begins the spark that was the flare into the first AA group. Today's readers are Mary H. for the steps, Lisa H. for the traditions, Angela D., our first reader, and Susie K., our second reader. The reference number for yesterday, Thursday, September 24, 2015, is 8022. That's 8022. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Mary H. to read the 12 steps of OA. Good morning. This is Mary H., recovered compulsive overeater in Northern California. Ten steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed, harmed and became willing to make amends for them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except that to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought for prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters of and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Mary H. And Lisa H., will you please read the 12 traditions of OA? 
Good morning. This is Lisa H., uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from West Tennessee. The 12 Traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lisa H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topic. This This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions of the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the forward to the second edition, Roman numeral page XV, with the last paragraph, the spark that was to flare. And Angela D., can you get us started? Good morning, Angela D. Can you hear me, Kim? Loud and clear. Okay, I am recovered, compulsive overeater, Upper Westchester. So grateful, so grateful. Thank you. The spark that was to flare into the first AA group was struck at Akron, Ohio, in June of 1935. During a talk between a New York stockbroker and an Akron physician, 
Six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience following a meeting with an alcoholic friend who had been in contact with the Oxford groups of that day. He had also been greatly helped by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, a New York specialist in alcoholism who is now accounted no less than a medical saint by AA, members in whose story of the early days of our society appeared in the next pages. From this doctor, the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism, Though he could not accept all the tenets of the Oxford group, he had convinced of the need for a moral inventory, confession of personal defects, restitution to those harmful to others, and the necessity of a belief in a dependence on God. Yes. Oh. All you need is a crack. That's all you need. That spark right there. That flared. All you need is a crack. You step into these rooms. You just have to step into them. Okay? This stockbroker, which was Bill W., right, he he got the he was relieved from his drink obsession and had a sudden spiritual experience. All right? He got to know what he was all about, right, in the place where he was. Eddie Thatcher, a meeting with an alcoholic friend, which was Eddie Thatcher, who had been in contact with the Oxford group of that day. He had also been greatly helped by what? This wonderful doctor, which they call a saint, that said to you, hey, fellas, you cannot get better. You're going to have to get something else here. You're going to have to find, because doctors will never be able to help you. I'm so grateful today for this program. For so many, many years, I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I've spent money on doctors, lots of money, but it didn't help me. All I had to do is walk in, walk into the meeting and find out what I was all about. Oh, thank God. From the doctor, the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism. I have an obsession of the mind, and I have a physical allergy. Okay? The acceptance. All right, where it says the need for a moral inventory. There's four and five. The steps are here. It's right in the beginning of the book. Here it is. A confession, six and seven. Personal defects. Restitution to those who have harmed. Eight and nine. It's right there. Helpful to others. Step 12. But guess what it ends with? Step one, two, and three. A dependence on a God. There it is. There's the steps. I'm walking in. There's the spark. I'm going to get it. No doctor can help me. Thank you, God, for today. And I pass with that, Kim. Have a great day. Thank you, Angela D. And who would like to share on that last paragraph on page XV? This is Paula D. May I share? 
Paula D. Anyone else before Paula? I have Paula share. Quiet group. Okay, Paula D. Why don't you kick it off? Okay, there I will. Thank you very much, Kim, first for your service. And uh, this is Paula D. from from New Hampshire. Recovered today with the grace of God. I just want to zero in on that first line. It's quite a line. That spark that was to flare into the first AA group was struck. And it tells you the place, and it tells you the time. But I want to just look, that spark, you know, a spark, you can light a match right now in the middle of the day or in the beginning of the day, and it doesn't look so so bright. But then when it's in the dark of night and you put that spark, oh, does it shine. This was a dark life, the dark of the lives of alcoholics. And look at what happened here, that spark that was to flare, and flare it did. And, you know, as I'm listening here, beautiful, beautiful message in this, in a paragraph in the very beginning, yeah, during a talk. What happened during that talk? Something happened more than just words. And you can see it, the words penetrated. They finally became, could this be a reality? Could this hope, could this hope flare into he saw it in another? And that's the beginning. And it even tells you where the past was. Brings you for a moment. Doesn't keep you there. Six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience following a meeting with an alcoholic friend. Whoa. Let's stop there by a friend. One drawn to another. And here it goes on and it goes on every word. Every word. And still today, the coming together, the coming together, and that spark that was there then is here now, and it ends with, and I'm going to go right, scoot on right to the end of that, XVI, he was convinced of the need for moral inventory, confession of personality, defects, restitution to those harm, helpfulness to the others, listen to this, listen to a life, and the necessity of belief in and dependence Upon God. That doesn't change. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. And who else would like to share on this paragraph? Melissa C. Melissa C. Anyone else? I'm sorry. I keep stomping on you. I know it's a gentleman's voice. Tom M. Tom M. Okay, thanks, Tom. Anyone else besides Tom and Melissa? Rasa O. Yeah, Rick Rasa K. O. Rick K. Okay, so this will be the order. It's Melissa C., Tom M., Rasa O., Rick K. So, Melissa C., you're up first. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, what strikes me this morning is that sudden spiritual experience and how, um, you know, for so many people that I've worked with and even for myself at times, um, that doesn't always precipitate, you know, recovery. Sometimes, um, you know, I thought initially that I was going to have a spiritual awakening and experience and then I was going to be propelled to um, put the food down and do the steps 
And for for myself and so many people, it's actually the exact opposite. It's, um, you know, it's throwing myself into the steps, um, putting the food down, you know, initial struggle um, as, as of working the steps. And then that leads to the spiritual awakening. That's, you know, the step 12 of it. And, um, you know, and so sometimes I think that's a stumbling block for some of us. And then I'm so grateful that, you know, that there is a part in the big book at the end that the appendix that, you know, talks about, and I don't have my book in front of me because I'm in the car, but that talks about, uh, you know, of an intellectual variety, that that spiritual experience and awakening can happen slowly over, over time. And, um, you know, I think for myself, my spiritual awakening really happened when um, I stopped expecting that life was going to be fair or that it was going to unfold uh, according to what I wanted and my design and that I was going to have to just have some acceptance and, um, you know, and trust that it was unfolding exactly the way that it was meant to and that I would have peace so long as I came to accept that, so long as I wasn't trying to fit it and the rest of the world into my ideal. And so, you know, when I talk with people and they say, you know, and they're struggling with the God concept or with believing that a higher power can actually relieve them, you know, I kind of remind them that, Step 12 is where we have our awakening, and so it's, it's at the end of doing some work, a lot of work, and um, I'm just grateful that I've had the awakening today, and uh, thank you for that old pass. Thank you, Melissa C., and next will be Tom M., followed by Vasa O. Tom M., yes. you're up. Good morning. I'm a grateful recovery sugarholic in, uh, from New Jersey, and as I read this um, first sentence here, the spark that was to flare into the first AA group struck at Akron. And I, I bring that forward to the day when I think back on, um, I remember August the 10th this past year, um, that, that, that spark flared in my life when I was led to get on the Vision for You call. And, um, and I know the, the, the experience of, you know, having had, the spirits, the sudden spiritual experience, and um, from that point, literally, my my life has has changed. I mean, I tried um, every type of program that was out there. I've been to so many different doctors, uh, um, hip, hip, you know, going to a hypnotist, uh, acupuncture, all kinds of stuff. And it really wasn't until uh, getting to and coming on with Vision for You that. Uh, this spark lit up my life, um, had this spiritual experience, uh, made a contact with uh, my sponsor who, after having, you know, going through these steps, um, you know, doing this, uh, realizing that there was a need for uh, a moral inventory confession of my personality defects, uh, restitution to those harmed, um, and now being helpful to others and realizing every single day that there's a necessity of belief in and dependence on a higher power. And, and, and in doing that, I, I just see it's like I feel my life is like 
moving from a caterpillar to a butterfly where things are just starting to shed. And it, it's just been really amazing. I mean, I, last night I went to my son's uh, back-to-school night and, you know, during one of the periods we had to go to the cafeteria and it was like cookies, cakes, everything all over the place. And my wife looked at me and she says, I'm like really impressed. And, and I'm thinking to myself, it's not me. It's really this higher power in me that's actually allowing me to be who I need to be right now. And and I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for this group. And um, and then with that, I'll pass. And I just want to thank everyone for the support. Thank you, Tom M. And next will be Vasa O, followed by Rick K. Vasa, you're up. Yes. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Kim, for your service. And I am grateful to recover compulsive reader calling from Massachusetts. Um, um, I know there was something wrong with me um, before I came to my first meeting. I just did not know what was wrong. And the spark for me came when my friend came to my house, and um, she had been in program for a couple of years. I hadn't seen her, and the spark came when I saw her. I said, oh, my gosh, she looks, she lost a lot of weight. She looked peaceful. She she had the glare, the shining eyes, and she was twelve stepping me for about a, one week before she brought me brought me to my first meeting, and I did not know anything about food addiction. I had been struggling with the food food addiction for about twenty five years, but I didn't know they called it disease. I didn't know they called it food addiction or eating disorder disorder. I didn't know any of it, you know. And uh, again, you know, I came to my first meeting October 25, 1986, and I remember I came to the big book, and um, they were reading how the program works, the preamble, and this and that, you know, and I was just listening, and I felt the Spirit of God was right there, you know. It gave me so much hope from where I had lost hope. I had given into the, my food addiction, my food at that time, because I just felt so hopeless. I said, I remember saying, I'm just going to die like this. You know, there's no, there's no more that I could try. Everything I tried, I had failed. And then I, you know, coming in, understanding the allergy uh, and the mental obsession that went with the allergy. And I, I remember saying to me, you need to surrender to God. You need to find a power greater than yourself. And I was willing, I was ready to do whatever she told me to do. And yes, I did have that, like Bill, I had that spiritual experience. The first night I came home from my first meeting, I surrendered in my bathroom. And I said to God, I surrender. I put the food in your hands. So I did the three steps all at once because I just did not want to die, you know. So I, I, I did what I was told. And then I, I know the time is probably coming for me to wrap up. And I've had many, many, many more experience, um, um, awakenings going through the steps uh, as I've been going through the years. And I still do, you know. And I'm so grateful. I will, um, I'm so grateful for AA. And, um, you know, AA helps. Uh, it's for anybody, you know, for AA food addicts, anyone, anyone that struggling with any different addictions. So I'm so grateful for finding out Alcoholics Anonymous. And thank you for letting me share, and I pass.
Thank you, Vasa. And next is Rick Kay, and then we'll open it up for some additional sharing on this paragraph. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, everybody. And uh, this is Rick Kay, uh, a compulsive overeater from Miami. Can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. Okay, fantastic. So as I read this, I love the history of, of uh, AA, and every single line I read here brings up stories and, and, and knowledge. But what I really want to talk about is the feeling that was engendered in me this morning reading this, which is um, kind of a, a feeling of connectivity. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a physical birth date, but then I had a, a uh, rebirth uh, at the time I came into the 12 steps. And, and as I was sitting here reading this stuff this morning, it made me think about, remember back to when the, uh, when the, it was a TV show, I think it was. Roots first came out, and from a sociological point of view, it was an ability for people to reconnect to their source, which had been lost. Uh, and it made me think uh, also about taking my daughter to New York to start her medical residency, and um, we went to see the play Fiddler on the Roof. And, and I, I knew the story, but as I was sitting there watching it live, I was thinking, you know, this could have been a village of my ancestors in the past, and, and it gave me a sense of connection to my religion, which, which I really didn't have much of uh, before that. And today, this gives me uh, a complete sense of where I'm connected to, kind of the circle goes unbroken feel. Um, this was where I was reborn, this divinely inspired book and the stories of, of these men and women who, who put this together uh, are the place that is the reason that I'm really alive and thriving today. So, so I just, you know, I thank God for this program. I thank God for the fact that, that it is these 12 steps that brought me to God and, and that it is these 12 steps and these stories that bring me to recovery. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rick Kane. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Larry. Leah. Leah. I heard Larry, and I heard Larry. I heard Larry. A lot of oh, Larry, Leah, and I heard Charles. But there was someone who came in just at the same time as Leah came in. Who was that? Nessa R. Nessa R. Did I miss anybody? Okay, so we have Larry K, Leah M, Nessa R, followed by Charles H. So Larry K, you're up first. Hey, Kim, thanks so much um, for your service. Larry K, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Um, so I, yeah, this paragraph, what, what, you know what, one of the things that, uh, that sticks with me you know, is the last part here. I mean, how beautiful is it that, um, you know, that here we have, um, you know, so it says, though he could not accept all the tenets of the Oxford groups, so we're talking about Bill, he was convinced of the need for the moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution to those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of belief in independence upon God. And that was the thing, you know, that really resonates with me because if it wasn't for 
this kind of divine, uh, you know, divine intervention where, where I, I believe, it, it, uh, you know, Bill, um, you know, was able to understand that there was this solution. And, and, you know, here we are, that was back in, you know, in 19, you know, the 1930s. And here we are in 2015, and it's still the solution. <clears throat> and, you know, for me, you know, the concept is, you know, what is the problem? That's, you know, they, they learned what the problem was. What's the solution? You know, but equally important, how do you bring that solution to light? And how do you bring that solution to light? Well, we have these 12 steps that allows us to go through those action steps in particular, you know, four through nine, you know, that we can do those things. And I always thought that my problem was food. <laughs> my problem was not food. My problem was living. I couldn't live without the food. The food is, you know, to numb me out. You know, we ate when we were happy. We ate when we were sad. All those things that we, that we did. But, you know, but today I have this, I have kind of a track to run on, you know. I have, you know, I've been given a way of life. This is a design for living that really works. I mean, that's been my experience. It does work. And I, you know, and it's not a one and done type of deal, right? We do this every day to the best of our ability. You know, we're, we're imperfect. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, mess it up every so often. But, uh, but by and large, if I stay on this pathway, we, if we work these 12 steps, we will have a spiritual awakening sufficient to arrest this disease. And, oh, by the way, you know, we'll be able to live life better. My life um, is so much better than it used to be. So, yes, the, the food is down. Um, yes, my relationships are better. And, yes, there's more peace and serenity most of the time. Anyways, I'm so grateful for this program. And, again, thanks for your service, Kim. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry Kay. And next is Leah M. followed by Nessa R. Leah. Thank you, Kim. From this doctor, the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism. And I, too, you know, I had to learn the grave nature of compulsive overeating. I knew I was a compulsive overeater. I knew that language, but I didn't understand the grave nature of my illness. I didn't understand the depths to which this disease was going to drag me. I didn't understand the nature of my problem. Uh, therefore, I didn't really um, understand and fully, you know, wrap my brain around the seriousness of this condition of mine and the urgency and necessity for the solution. And I got that education, that exact nature of my condition uh, from the big book. I knew I was had a problem with food and compulsive overeating. I didn't know how my disease functioned. And I got that education through someone who guided me through this text. Because even though this big book is talking about alcohol and alcoholism, and I'm a compulsive overeater. When I use words of food and compulsive overeating instead of alcohol and alcoholism, the big book is talking about me, Leah, a real compulsive overeater. Uh, you know, it mentions Dr. William Silkworth here. He was the first physician to fully understand and put into words what an alcoholic's problem was. He worked with thousands of alcoholics. Uh, in his work, he found that when an alcoholic took even a little bit of alcohol into his system, the switch would turn on inside his body, and only one thing the alcohol wanted, alcoholic wanted to do, and that was to drink more alcohol. And he continued to drink and drink and drink, of course. 
um, he had no choice but to drink. And when I reviewed my eating history, I could identify certain substances that had that same effect on me. It wasn't just a taste sensation. When I ate certain foods, my body was triggered, and I would eat more and more and more and more and more of that food, and I'd stop feeling, and I'd numb out, and I'd be anesthetized. I'd be drunk with food. It had an effect on me. Now, if this physical allergy was my only problem, I wouldn't need Overeaters Anonymous because I wouldn't need the 12 steps. All I'd have to do is figure out which foods created that allergy and, of course, just uh, no longer eat those foods. Well, that does not work for me because when I abstain from those binge foods, I feel restless, I feel irritable, I feel discontent, and these feelings begin to build up and crowd my mind, and it gets so loud, I have to shut them up. And the only way I know how to shut them up, (laughs) of course, is to pick up that first bite. And the big book calls that the obsession of the mind. So my main problem centers in my mind. So the big book gives me uh, these steps that are designed to relieve me of this mental obsession. When the mental obsession is driven out, I have no desire for that first bite. Problem solved. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Maya M. And Nessa R., you is up. And then Charles H., you're next. Good morning, Nessa. Hi, good morning. My name is Nessa R. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, and um, I want to talk about uh, the words helplessness to others and dependence and reliance upon God because the two of them, the two of them are combined, are are together. I mean, they they follow one another. I um, helplessness is so important. It's it's written all over this book. Not only the word helplessness itself, but the the concept of, of helplessness. Um, I know that for me, before my recovery, um, I I was so into myself. I was so self-focused and self-absorbed. I only did <clears throat> what brought uh, pleasure to to Nessa, whether it was the food or you know whatever activities. And when I was being quote unquote helpful to others, it was. Um, you know, even from the from the noblest of causes, it was still with ulterior motives. It was, you know, to to accomplish Nessa's goals, you know, to pursue my little plans and designs. And that was such a meaningless existence. Not only that, I, I used to do that um, in the um, erroneous belief that this would bring me happiness, and it didn't bring me happiness. It brought me misery. Um, you know, I, I I did this for the decades, decades before recovery, and now I am I'm truly focused not on what I need or what I think I need, uh, but on what is needed for me. And this is where the two are linked together: helpfulness to others and and uh, dependence and reliance upon God. I don't have to be looking out after myself because I know that God is looking out for me. And instead of focusing on what I need, I focus on what I am truly needed for. And, you know, the unexpected thing is that um, in addition to adding meaning to my life, um, this has brought an immense amount of joy. You know, the joy and the happiness that I was pursuing before in the food and all these, you know, other misguided attempts to to help people the way I thought they needed to be helped. 
uh, has come as a result, you know, this helpfulness to other, others. And how, how did I achieve that? Through recovery. And how did I achieve recovery? Through the 12 steps. And how did I um, get to the 12 steps? Through this little chip of a book. Um, and uh, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. And Charles H., you're next. And then, Susie K., we're going to have you read the next paragraph after Charles. Go ahead, Charles. Good morning, Kim G. and uh, all the visionaries. Charles H., a recovered visionary just for today. And, um, you know, I thank God that uh, Bill W., um, you know, utilized um, the, you know, uh, uh, the six tenants and, and couldn't take some of it, you know, some of, you know, couldn't take all of the active group because that's what makes it uh, all inclusive and roomy for for all. Um, and I and I thank God for Doctor Silkwork that um, he learned the grave nature of alcoholism. And if you look in the doctor's opinion where it says some people, and I identify in with um, making this like a, knowing a lot of people that make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. And continue to fight means white knuckling before the program of action. You know, thank God for the moral, the moral inventory, the confession of personal defects, restitution of those harm, helpful to others, and the necessity of belief in in and uh, dependence upon God. Because um, that is the transformation. And and Dr. Pennant also talks about being taken out of the scrap heap. It also being talked about, um, you know. A power, no human power. It explains all that in the doctor's opinion. That you know what? Yeah, the you know certain certain foods will make me break out, and I'm allergic to certain foods. But like like Leah said, the main problem centers in my mind. But I need to know that I need to abstain and refrain. I can't even. It says we can in the doctor's opinion. I love it. We can never safely use those alcoholic foods. Because if I even a little drop of it, it's going to trigger my allergy. It's going to trigger it, and then over and over again in that vicious cycle. So in order for me to get out of that vicious cycle, I need to go through a program of action, and I need to, you know, look out for the people that say, "Oh yeah, I've been through the steps already. What you doing now?" Or ninety means the ninety day. What happened on day ninety one? You turn back into a pumpkin. No, I need to be here every single day. I need to be brainwashed every single day. I need to. I need to. Thank God every single day and keep doing this over and over. And, and although, you know, you, you I may fail with some prospects like Bill W. did, the first six, or his half a dozen prospects he says in a big book, I need to continue and never get tired of, of taking somebody through Dr. opinion because another fresh set of eyes, and, and it, it works. Commence to work with others. You hear that literally through the whole book. That's the transformation that they're talking about. And with that, I pass. Thanks for allowing me to share. Thank you, Charles. And Susie Kay, would you continue with that next paragraph, which is on page XVI, first paragraph prior to his journey? Good, good morning, Susie Kay, recovered compulsive eater in Maine. Prior to his journey to Akron, the broker had worked hard with many alcoholics on the theory that only an alcoholic could help an alcoholic, but he had succeeded only in keeping himself sober. The broker had gone to Akron on a business venture which had collapsed leaving him greatly in fear that he might start drinking again. He suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. 
that alcoholic turned out to be the Akron physician. So when Susie Kay recovered from Pulse Feet, are very grateful in Maine this morning. And um, as I was looking through this paragraph, I just, um, I'm just incredibly grateful to um, be helping others in program. And the more I do it, the more I realize what an integral part of my recovery it is. Um, we must help others. There's no way around it. And um, I find it ironic that the two co-founders of, of Alcoholics Anonymous found each other because one realized, as I say here, he suddenly realized, that, as Bill W. suddenly realized that he had to help another alcoholic and that other alcoholic was the other co-founder of the organization. And so, in, um, you know, they were living out a key part of our program, a uh, key part of our recovery um, through each other uh, by, by helping and being helped. We just have to do it. And um, I'll tell you, it has kept my recovery from compulsive eating alive and well, or it has it has kept my recovery well and in good shape to be reaching out to others in the rooms, to be sponsoring people, to have hosted folks at my home who stayed here while they they uh, detox from their their um, alcoholic foods, to host people for meals so they can see what abstinent um, you know. Uh, eating looks like, to counsel people, to guide them towards their higher power through the steps, um, over the phone, in person, at local meetings, um, you know, however it is, it is absolutely key to the program. So if you have done the steps um, with the help of a sponsor and um, are not helping someone else, you have to do that. You just have to, and um, and that's what I did, and um, I am recovered and free of free of my alcoholic substances. Thank you. Thank you, Susie Kay. And who would like to share on the paragraph we just read? Lonnie P. Lonnie P. Reva P. Lonnie P. Okay, I heard Ronnie P. and Reva. Um, I think it's Reva P as well, but I could not hear the first couple people. Who who else was in there? Hearing S. S. I'm hearing S. Who's in the last initials S? Karen. 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 S. Okay. And who else Sarah besides Karen S? Sarah W. Yes. Thank you. Okay. So I have Karen S, Ronnie P, Reva P, and Sarah W. Did I miss somebody? Okay, so we'll go in that order. Karen S., Ronnie P., Reva P., Sarah W. Karen S., you're up first. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, it occurs to me in reading these, actually these two paragraphs, that there are miracles going on here. Um, in this kind of recap of the history of AA, um, in this last paragraph we hear about, about um, Bill and Dr. Bob and how Bill realized what he had to do um, to help another recovering person. And in the first paragraph, we've got, you know, um, we've got Dr. Silkworth. We've got um, Bill 
and um, Eddie Thatcher. We've got um, the Oxford Group. All these things coming together um, to form this amazing uh, organization. And then this incredibly helpful book, uh, After All These Years, Miracles to Me, um, this confluence of events. And then and then there's the miracle of my own recovery. Um, my actually eating according to a plan, a healthy food plan for uh, at least eight months now, my actual maintenance of a weight loss for those eight months, and most of all, I think, um, the spiritual changes in my life that are kind of undefinable, but um, I, I know they're there, and I, my dear ones around me know that they're there. So, um, well, just so grateful and grateful to this, this program, which really, really kick-started the whole the whole, um, the whole recovery for me. So thank you very much, Ms. Attica. Thank you, Karen S. And we'll have Ronnie P. followed by Reva P. Go ahead, Ronnie. Okay, thanks. Good morning, Kim, and thank you for um, being our moderator this morning. This is Ronnie P., really great compulsive overeater in Pennsylvania. Um, this, this paragraph is so great. Um, what I'm inspired by is that Bill kept trying. You know, the first few people, he, you know, he couldn't get them sober. And um, it took him a few tries until he found someone in whom they could begin to build something together. And what I just can't get over is that he hung in there. You know, and I think about how many times I, you know, will attempt something. And it's something worthy. It's something that feels really important. And I will fail the first time. And I just feel so deflated. And I will give up. And, um what this program is really teaching me is the power of hanging in there, you know? And what I tell people who I'm sponsoring is don't lose your learning curve, you know? Uh, Anything that we try, there's a learning curve. It takes a lot of practice until we sort of get up to speed and we get going. And, um, you know, if you quit before you've completed the learning curve, you know, you're just going to have to begin again somewhere else. We're all going to be beginners, you know. There's a lot of pride. There's a lot of ego that has to be put aside when you're a beginner. Um, it feels scary to not know things. It feels humiliating for me. It can feel humiliating. And so um, Bill didn't, didn't kill his learning curve. You know, he hung in there. And who knows, you know, the first few people he spoke to, if they didn't get it, you know, it could have been that there was something about the way Bill was presenting himself. It, it just didn't click. And it took a few times, you know, for him to get up to speed until he finally found that person where it clicked together. And that's not even to say that he failed with the others. You don't know what seed he planted with them. You know, years later, when AA was up and running, maybe someone heard about it and said, wow, that's that guy Bill who I talked to a few years ago when I just wasn't finished drinking yet. So um, I would say also to all the newcomers on the line, and um, I, um, don't, don't lose your learning curve. You know, hang in there. Be really patient with yourself. Be patient with being a beginner. Um, if you feel scared and weirded out by stuff you hear here, <clears throat> you know, welcome to the Beginner's Club. I mean, that's, it's like that in every single thing. But this is a serious disease. It's a serious illness, and the, and the long-term um, prescription for it can really be found in this program, and it will do more than help you put down the food and get to the right dress size. It really will. Um, it really will change you. It'll change you in ways that you 
can't even imagine. And if you could imagine them, um, then you're probably not a compulsive overeater. Um, so, uh, so what I would say today is that I'm so grateful that Bill hung in there through his learning curve, as stumbling and fumbling as it was, he did not quit. And that's the desperation he had. And thank goodness for his desperation. Uh, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Ronnie P. And now we have Reva P. followed by Sarah W. Go ahead, Reva. Good morning. This is Reva P., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Toronto, and I'm currently in Montreal. Um, what struck me in this paragraph is that until I came into program, I had several professionals um, who tried to help me with my problem, um, and it never worked um, for me it made me feel more of a freak because they didn't have this problem. I did. I didn't know anybody else who was doing the crazy things that I was doing with food. And I just felt weirder and weirder um, and ashamed. You know, why can't I do this? They obviously can. So coming into program and for the first time, being faced with another person who really knew from experience what it's like to eat food frozen, burnt, um, garbage, um, all those things that I was so ashamed of, my biggest, biggest secret. I realized I wasn't the only one. And, you know, at that meeting, everybody was the same. Um, it was such a relief. But more than that, because this is not just about therapy where we um, talk about the problem and whine about the problem, which I did for so many years. He must carry his message or the message. And what is the message? Just as was read in the previous paragraph in that one sentence where they go through the steps, that's the message. That's what I also need to hear from my fellow compulsive overeater. I need to hear the solution. I need to hear how people are working the solution. I need to hear that it never ends. It's a daily reprieve because I have a built-in forgetter. And in terms of SPARK, by bringing program from one alcoholic compulsive overeater to another, sometimes I feel like my SPARK is really dying. Um, today I'm in Montreal. I walked into my mother's apartment where we're cleaning out her stuff and just felt so sad. Um, and I know what I used to do with sad feelings, just numb them out. But to keep the spark flamed and alive, it's each of us taking our spark. I heard an analogy once where I have a spark and I give it to somebody else and it makes both of ours shine even brighter. And that's what we continue to do by working with others. Um, and it doesn't matter whether that person um, gets it or not, which is showed in this paragraph. I need to keep remembering what the message is and where I was and what the solution is for today. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. And Sarah W., you're going to take us out to the end of the meeting. Thank you so much for your service today, Kim. I really appreciate it. Sarah W., very grateful, recovered, compulsive overreader. Um, you know, I was thinking about the spark as people were talking. I really try to really listen. And the thought I have is that we each have a spark inside of us, and it's really the, you know, the great reality is deep within, um, 
you know, is what I believe. But, you know, yesterday I took a new sponsee on, and um, I'm working with two people currently that are in the ninth step. And the only reason I say it is because I was a little reticent or reluctant because, you know, I, I really have a very, very busy life, and I have you know, five people currently um, that I'm working with, but I'm so grateful to be doing it uh, because what I realized, and I just wanted to uh, go back to uh, something somebody reminded me of about two and a half years ago when I was kind of struggling with food, and she said practical experience shows that nothing will as much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. Uh, and that has really proven true uh, for me. And then I wanted to uh, just bring us to one other place because it's it's so important to me. Uh, a co-founder, Dr. Bob and Dr. Bob's Nightmare, which is an absolutely wonderful story of of hope and inspiration. On page 181, says um, uh, he starts by saying, "I spend a great deal of time passing on what I learned." Uh, what I learned to others who want and need it badly. I do it for four reasons. Sense of duty, it is a pleasure because in doing so I am paying my debt to the man who took time to pass it on to me. And because every time I do it, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. And you know what? I have learned more about myself and more about recovery in sponsoring than in any other part of the program. Truly, I have. Uh, you know, we are faced with our defects of character when we sponsor. Uh, and I really wanted to bring up the idea of humility because I think that's really what it's all about. The bottom line foundation of our program is humility. We come in and we need the help. You know, we don't know anymore what to do. And we're saying, I surrender. I need somebody to kind of show me the way. Give me the spark and lead the way. And that doesn't mean I know anything better than you or I am better than you. It just means I've walked the walk and I'm willing to walk alongside. And I'm so grateful for that. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah W. And actually, we have two minutes left. Does anyone want to take the last two minutes for a quick share? Hi, this is Michelle W. May I share on those paragraphs? Sure. I'm sorry, I couldn't understand your name, though. Michelle W. Michelle, go right ahead. You can lead us out with yeah. a two-minute share. Yes, ma'am. Uh, well, I'm back to OA. I was in OA three years ago, and I just didn't get it. I didn't get OA. And I didn't get a high power. I didn't get any of it. And I guess my disease just wasn't grave enough yet. And I wasn't just desperate. I wasn't desperate enough. But I came back to OA a month ago. And I've been attending some different meetings. And I came into this meeting because I was inspired by another big book meeting. And I'm really glad I came to this meeting. Uh, because of the work of other uh, compulsive readers this week, uh, this week uh, I did experience that spark that flare uh, to really connect with my higher power. I experienced that necessity uh, to have that belief and dependence on God. And uh, even though I'm new back to OA and I, I'm looking for a sponsor right now, um, I did take step three this week and I turned my life and my will over to the care and, dependence, the care and direction uh, of God. And uh, even though it's only been 48 hours, already I'm already beginning to look at life in a whole different light 
and to, and even on back in only a month, I'm having a peace in my life uh, that I could never have expected. And I just want to say I'm so grateful to be back in OA and grateful that I've reconnected or I've connected with my higher power. I I know now that, you know, I wasn't just having a food problem. I wasn't just a problem that I had food addiction. You know, I had a spiritual problem and I had a tremendous spiritual void that I need God to fill. And because of the work of others in OA, I know now that void is going to be filled. And I just want to say I'm so grateful for OA and that I'm back. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Michelle W. Thank you to um, the almost 20 people that shared today, to the people who are listening on the line, almost 300 of us, to the people who are going to listen to the recording later on the phone, and the thousands of people that visit our website daily. Please join us for a second, unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Chrissy M. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thanks, Kim. I'm Chrissy M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater and Anorexic from New Jersey and Nashville today. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answer will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.